morning, everyone. We are in Philippians chapter 2 today, and you need your Bible for this. In fact, uh, you know what I don't need anymore on Sunday mornings? Paper clips. <laughs> paper clips. I'm throwing away all my paper clips, got them in all my pockets. I've been using paper clips for the last year under the tent for when the wind blows my Bible pages, so I don't need these anymore. Anyone need any nice paper clips? Anyone? Good. Welcome to, oh, here, right here. I know you wanted those. Um, welcome to those that are joining us on the live stream and also those that are in the overflow area. There are some of you that are not within my eyesight, but I have greeted most of you that are not within my eyesight. You know who you are. And um, we're talking today about the will of God, and this is one of those things for Christians that are so crucial, so important, and many of you, it might be true to say that you've tied yourself up all in knots about some decision in your life. Where do I go to school? Who should I marry? Where should I live? What job should I take? And you need God to tell you what you should do. You want to do the right thing. And I'm here to tell you today that if you want to please God and surrender to his sovereign sufficiency, you're going to need to understand the will of God. We've looked for the last couple of weeks. We're going to start next week in Jude, verse by verse. In September, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians. But we've spent the last two weeks on understanding the Holy Spirit. That we saw that the Holy Spirit is God with you and in you, empowering you to serve Christ. And we saw a lot of things about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit and hopefully correcting some false thinking about the Holy Spirit. But today, we're talking about the will of God and for those of us, I think, that are accustomed to getting our own way, this is a toughie, okay? It's tough for us to talk about the will of God. Oftentimes, here's the way even professing Christians do it, okay? And many of you may, may somehow fall into this. I know I do it. We are accustomed to getting our way, and so we're kind of like, you know, Bruce Almighty, you know, my will be done, right? And, and we're even as we are praying, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. We are even praying it over and over again. Lord, I want your will. I want what you want. And all the time, we are angling to try to get exactly what we want. I know this is so common for all of us, and our sin nature kind of pushes us to the front of the line, and we force what we want, again, even if we're praying for the will of God. I don't know. Uh, think about your recent takeout orders and how you dealt with those if they were wrong or your online orders that weren't correct, and how you deal with that, or even your conversations about social issues, or about national issues, about international issues. Like, what do you do with the upheaval in America, in our politics, and in social things? What do you do with Israel and Hamas and all these things? What do you do with the, in the Middle East? And we all have these very strong opinions, and we're very, very good at pushing them on people while we say, we're looking for the will of God. So today, I'm here to tell you that God's will is not a mystery for you to discover. It is not a needle in a haystack that you're trying to find. It's not some hidden treasure that you need to go looking for. It is doing what pleases God as you walk by faith, as you live by faith. There are so many unanswered questions that we deal with in life. Again, where, where do I need to live? Uh, what college should I go to? Who do I marry? What career? What do I want to be when I grow up? Uh, how will my family issues work out? Uh, 
Christians seek the will of God. Unbelievers don't care one iota about the will of God. They don't care what God wants. But Christians seek the will of God. They want to please God. And, and if you're a Christian today, if you're, a, if you're following Christ, you want to make the right decisions in life, which is why some of you have yourself tied up in knots over some of your decisions. Because you want to make the right decision. What should you do? You know, what's the right thing to do in every situation? And what does God want? And these are questions that every Christian asks. A.W. Tozier said this, I am your servant, Lord, to do your will. And that will is sweeter to me than position or riches or fame, and I choose it above all things on earth or in heaven. Today we're in Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 12 and 13. We'll be in other scriptures as well. But I'm hoping that it will help you understand God's will so that you can serve Christ confidently and without confusion. Confidently and without confusion. We would let the word of God speak, and I will exhort you to obey that word of God as I am attempting to do so myself. And whether it meshes with your will or not, whether it goes against your will or not, whether it crosses your will or not, that you would resolve that I am going to do what God says, not what my mind says. So let's step back first. Before we look at what this passage says, let's just ask the question, step back and ask the question, what is the will of God? What does it mean to seek God's will? What is the will of God? What is it as a, as a thing? God's will is what he wants. It is what he desires. It is what he decides. It is what he decrees to do. It is an outcome that he directs for his greatest glory and your ultimate good. And the idea is that God always gets what he wants. The will of God, the will of God is, is a Greek word, thelema. It comes from a word, thalo, which in this passage in Philippians, you see the, the root word. It means the will, a will, a desire. And the idea is it's the result of what God has decided upon that's going to happen. Now, we get our, our name, Thelma, from the Greek word for will. So if your name is Thelma, it's the idea of, you know, the will of God. And it's God's gracious disposition towards something. It's what God himself does of his own good pleasure, what he wants, what he has decreed to happen, his heart's desire. For example, it was God's will to create all things. In a great burst of praise in Revelation 4, verse 11, you see these words, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created because of the will of God. Paul says that he was an apostle of Christ only because of the will of God. A good prayer for you and I to pray is in Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. What I want to do today is point out in this passage three foundational truths that are, that are rooted in God's character. These truths are rooted in God's character, and they must drive your understanding of the will of God if you are to, to trust Christ and serve him confidently without confusion. And it really should drive the church's collective understanding and teaching about the will of God. So three foundational truths, and we'll start in verse 12. Verse 12 begins, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. And he is speaking of obeying God. He just, he is just finished 
saying that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that every Christian who proclaims and professes Christ as Lord here on earth will do so in heaven, that every unbeliever who will spend eternity in hell will bow their knee and confess that Christ is Lord. And he has just said that, and he says, therefore, as you have always obeyed, and he's saying, don't be pleasing man. Don't do it because I'm here. As you have always obeyed, not just in my presence, but also in my absence, obey. Be basically because you love Christ and serve him, not man. And the first point is this. You need to, if you want to understand the will of God, you need to obey God's word. If you want to understand the will of God, you need to obey God's word. And, and basically that's acknowledging Christ's sovereign lordship. This lordship that every Christian confesses that your understanding of God's will must be rooted in the sovereign lordship of Christ, his sovereignty. Uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 11 has beautifully laid that out for us. In fact, if you go to verse 11, where it says that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, well, you'll notice that word Lord refers to his right to rule. It's his authority. It's his ownership of Christians. And it's applied to Jesus, it's referring to his deity, it's mainly to his sovereign authority that under God the Father, it's for the glory of God the Father. And as we live under God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, we exalt Christ the Lord who has absolute authority over us because he has absolute ownership over our lives. And that's the first thing you need to understand if you want to do the will of God and you want to understand God's will is that God's will is most clearly revealed in his holy word. As I say often, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, conscience-binding word of God. The scriptures were not written by the will of man, but through God's will. 1 Peter 1, 20, 2 Peter 1, 21. No prophecy was ever made by an act of, of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Not doing the will of God identifies you as an unbeliever. Whether you claim to be a believer or not, Jesus said some strong words in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. You won't know God's will. You won't know God or his will unless you're willing to obey God's will. Probably should repeat that sentence. <laughs> you won't know God or his will, unless you're willing to obey his will. Willing to obey his word. Getting up in the morning and saying, thank you, Lord, for a brand new day. I want to please you. Thy will be done. Just like Jesus taught us in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Pray this way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not what I want, but what you want. You won't know God or his will unless you're willing to do his will. Jesus says in John 7, verse 17, if anyone is willing... To do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. If you want to understand the will of God, you must acknowledge Christ's sovereign lordship and obey the word of God. In John 6, 29, it makes it very clear, clear that it is God's will for you to believe in Jesus. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, this is the first step. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. 1 John 3.23 says, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Ephesians 1.11 tells us we have obtained an inheritance. Those who are believers have obtained an inheritance. 
having been predestined, which means God decided beforehand, according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. God works all things after the counsel of his will. This is why John 1.13 says that if you're born again, if you're, if you're a spiritually alive person, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. You're not a Christian because of your own will. You're a Christian because of God's will. Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. If you're not a Christian today, you need to acknowledge Christ's sovereign lordship and obey his word. And the first thing you're told to obey in the word of God is to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe that you are lost in your sins and you cannot save yourself and that only by the shed blood of Christ, the precious shed blood of Christ, can we have eternal life. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Believe in the Lord Jesus and believe in Christ crucified and risen and coming again. That he died for our sins in our place. That he was buried. That he rose on the third day according to the scriptures and that he is coming back. He's gone to prepare a place for us and he will bring us to be with him forever. Acknowledge the sovereign lordship of Christ. The one who does God's will is found to be the one who is after God's heart. The idea of the direction of your heart. This is why Acts 13 tells us that God raised David to be the king of Israel. Concerning him, he testified this. Here's what he said of David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. It is God's will that you believe in Jesus. It is God's will that you be sanctified. First, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 makes it very clear. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that you run from it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, rejoice, uh, 17, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants to make you more like Christ. God wants you to live rejoicing in him and his goodness, thanking him, being grateful. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And then it goes on to state what it is in 5, 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Romans 12 tells us, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the Spirit, through the Word of God. If you go over one book in your, in your Bible there to Colossians chapter, chapter 1, one and look, and look at, at verse, verse 9, 9 with me. me. You'll notice, notice this in a prayer, prayer of Paul. He says, he says this. this. Paul and Timothy writing to the church in Colossae. And says this. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now a lot of you will take that and go, oh, Great, I'm going to walk outside, God's going to download the knowledge of his will, and I'll have all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because people take things out of context all the time in scripture. But if you uh, dial in with this with me, what you'll notice with laser beam precision, God is saying that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and knowledge, and that understanding and that the knowledge there has an added preposition intensifying the meaning, and it's not an inner subjective feeling you're going to have. 
It's a comprehensive knowledge that's being referred to here of God's will that is finally and completely and inerrantly revealed. There is only one place that is found in the Word of God. Only in God's Word. God doesn't download messages into your mind or give you knowledge of things before they happen. Some of you have, have literally tied yourselves up in knots over you know, what job to take, where to live, who to marry, what college to go to. And the interesting thing is you don't know where to stop. It goes down to, well, should I have chicken or, you know, or ham on my sandwich? Like, where do you stop? Is it, it's all the big things, but what about the medium things? And what about things that really don't matter? Like, have whatever kind of sandwich you want today. Just make sure there aren't illegal drugs in it. I mean, seriously, like, do, do what you do and just do what, what, what doesn't displease God. But you will be filled with the knowledge as well and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the prayer that God is going to answer. And it's because it's answered in the word of God. You see the will of God most clearly revealed in the word of God. You need, you need to obey, obey God's, God's word. If you, you want, want to obey, if you want to understand the will of God, you need to obey God's word. That's why going on in Colossians, it says in chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly, amply, a lot, the revealed will of God, that you would have wisdom and spiritual understanding. Spiritual wisdom where you gain and grasp Principles from scripture and understanding where you apply those principles in daily living. Where you obey God's commands, where you love people, where you forgive people, where you forbear, where you're patient, where you evangelize, when you preach the gospel to yourself and your household and your neighborhood, where you comfort people with the word of God, where you counsel people with the word of God, where you meditate on the word of God, where you roll it over in your mind and think about it all the time. That's what Christians do. Where you can follow Jesus confidently, you can follow him with confidence and not with confusion. God is not the author of confusion. The human quandary is always what do I want? And then how can I get it? The Christian considers someone other than himself. Is my heart in line with what pleases God? I want to obey God's word. I'm going to acknowledge the sovereign lordship of Christ. Just like Paul told the Philippians, as you have always obeyed. Here's a model church obeying the word of God. You know what? If you think about it, you go, oh, I don't know. I don't know if God is really concerned with me. I, 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 I want him to give me the specific answers for everything. I just don't know. Think of this. In every acknowledgement in your life of the lordship of Christ, the sovereignty of God, in every obedience to his word, that is proof that God is personally involved in your life. Because the Holy Spirit is taking the word of God, the objective word of God, the real Holy Spirit is taking the real objective word of God and puts it in your subjective heart that wavers back and forth. That's this is all of us here. And it's a sight to behold. It is a sight to behold that the perfect word of God, of the perfect Lord of all, is lived by imperfect people. And God works it out. Every act of obedience is proof of God's personal involvement in your life. That he cares. That he loves you. That he wants what's best for you. That he's working for his glory and your good. That in the Lord's strength you obey and do what God wants. And you honor his design. You honor his 
directives. You obey his word. You honor him. And you do it in all the parts of life, like marriage. Where marriage, if you're, if you're a man and you say, I want to go marry a man, you're stepping outside of God's design. You're dishonoring the lordship of Christ. If you're a woman and you say, I don't want to be a woman anymore, I want to be a man, you are stepping outside of God's design and directive. For marriage, it's between one man and one woman for life till death do you part. Family, your identity, your sexuality, your social issues, all the things that you have gotten so worked up and sweaty about all year long of the social issues and the, and the the fact that you became an expert on every American social issue, and that, and you could also, if they would put you at the table, you could also solve all the problems of the international community as well. Now, here's somebody's, here's some people speaking. That's exactly what they think. There's a lot of delusional people out there. Here's what you do: you just you honor God's design because you want to acknowledge Christ's lordship. And you say, in, my, in the social issues, in the national realm, in the international realm, in my friendships, in my family, in my church membership. Some people are like, I'm going to go to Grace Church Warren for 35 years and I never join church because I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, the elders of our church have said, we're going to have a membership. If you're a part of the body of Christ, we want, if you're going to be here, we want you to link up with us and not be self-willed. You know, the selfishness grows in hearts that are not satisfied with the sovereignty of God. There are people today saying, you must hate me. You must not like me because you say that the Bible says that the thing that I want to do is wrong. And my answer is, you can do whatever you jolly well please. Go do whatever you want. As long as you're willing to take the consequences. As long as you're willing because I'm not going to condone, I'm not going to celebrate what is ungodly or anti-Christ or against the word of God. That's the way a Christian answers. I love you. Do whatever you want. But it doesn't mean I hate you or don't love you because I'm telling you the Bible says the thing you want to do is wrong. This is the best thing I can tell you. This is the most loving thing I can tell you. You have to accept truth and not lies. You have to accept truth and reject lies. I don't understand how like a professing Christian can say that Marxism is okay. You, you cannot combine Marxism and Christianity. You put them side by side. One is an absolute self-directed, self-focused way to li live, and the other is a God-centered way to live. Uh, you, our, our culture is playing games with, with words. You can't say hardly anything anymore without someone getting angry at you. And you know what? Don't play games with the Bible like our culture plays games with words. Pronoun foolishness. Forced acceptance of lies. You know, if you torture the facts long enough, they'll agree with you. That's what people are doing. But we want to not have a man-made lens for Scripture. We want to have a God-given, we want to take the word straight up and say, I want to be a doer of God's rightly handled word because the Spirit speaks clearly in the word. And if I'm born again, then I'm going to continue aligning myself under God and his word, and I'm going to fight the riptide of forced lies. And I will cancel the culture. Before it cancels me. You know that, you know, I, I agree with cancel culture, by the way. Because Jesus canceled the debt of our sin. That's the culture uh, uh, that I like, uh, the cancel culture I like, is that Jesus canceled the debt of our sin. All those decrees against us, and in Christ, you are free, and you are free indeed. And I, you can pick any time in history of the world 
and you can find a world upside down, making up its own stuff. And if, you, if it ever feels different to you, you might have adopted the spirit of the world. You want your heart and mind tuned into what the spirit of God says in the word of God. And if you say, but yeah, but wait, wait. I can't figure it all out. I don't know where to go to college. I don't know where I'm supposed to live. I got two job offers in two cities. I don't know which one to take. We'll get to that, but let's just show, let me show you one Bible verse you, you probably need to cling on to. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You look it up if you want. You should memorize it. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things. The things we don't know. The things we don't know. The things we can't know until God wants to reveal them. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And if you go, yeah, and I'm looking for the secret things. I'm looking for the needle in the haystack. I'm looking, you know, for the treasure that's buried. I'm a treasure hunter. You're off base. Here's why. Read the rest of the verse. Let's read the verse again. The, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law that we may obey the word of god that we may acknowledge the sovereign lordship of god and obey what he says and there is a revealed will of god the things that you should clearly do and if you don't you're disobeying god and denying his authority like jesus is lord believe in him live a pure life rejoice and be thankful But there is the hidden will of God that you cannot see and you won't know until it happens and you aren't supposed to go looking for it. Just obey the word of God, acknowledge Christ's sovereign lordship. Now let's move on to the second point. And it really answers the question, what do I do though when I can't find the the answer to my question in the Bible? Again, like where do I go to college? Where do I live? Who do I marry? Who should I date? All of that stuff. Here's the answer. Make wise decisions. Make wise decisions. If you want to understand the will of God, first of all, obey God's word. Acknowledge the sovereign authority of Christ. But secondly, make wise decisions. Uh, yield to the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God taking the word of God and applying it into our subjective hearts. And of course it's going to be an exercise in trial and error. But your understanding of God's will must be driven by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, a desire to please God, a desire to grow in holiness, a desire to be more like Christ. Because here's what it says in verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a holy desire. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. It is not abject fear where you're you're frozen and you can't do anything. It, It says work out your salvation. That doesn't mean work for your salvation. This is not works righteousness. This is not salvation by works. What this means is continually work to bring something to fulfillment or completion. And you're like, well, wait, doesn't that, doesn't that mean I'm in charge? No. The working that you do is where you do something. And then when you get to verse 13, the, the working that God does is where he affects something and makes something happen. We'll get to that. But work out your own salvation. The believer's responsibility is to actively be pursuing obedience in the process of sanctification. And fear in trembling is the attitude of your heart that you would have as you pursue sanctification. That you have a healthy fear of offending God. That you have a righteous awe and respect of him. That you do wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you for keeping me alive last night. I want to please you today. Your will be done. Work it out equals salvation. 
And it is a course in trial and error. You work it out with reverence and radical trust. You fear God, as the scriptures say, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Now, if you go back to Colossians 1, and I looked at verse 9 with you, but if you look at the, the next phrase in that prayer, Colossians 1.10, you'll notice that the purpose there, it says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Calling believers to live in a way consistent with your identity in Christ who saved you. You'll be fruitful in every good work. Uh, spiritual fruit is the outcome of, of a life that, that God has. And, and there's the revealed will in the word. There's the hidden providence of God that we don't know how it's going to work out. But we know that we want our minds transformed by the spirit through the word renewed on a daily basis, Hebrews 12, 1 and, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. But you still get to that quandary. But what am I supposed to do? In 1984, I was a two-year-old Christian at the time. I wasn't two years old. I was, I'd been a believer for two years. And Gary Friesen wrote a book, 1984, and it was called Decision-Making in the Will of God. Some of you may have seen it. You may, may have a copy and his, his whole tagline was, does God have a perfect will for your life? Does he have a perfect will for every Christian? Can you be 100% certain of God's specific will for your life? And the prevalent view at that moment in time was, God will tell you or reveal to you exactly what you need to do in every uh, situation. Like, he will drop the pin where you need to live, and, and he will tell you where you need to go to school, and he will tell you, all the things that you need to know in life. And I remember picking up that book going, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Here I am, a two-year-old baby Christian with my diapers on, my, my spiritual diapers on, and I'm like, I, I don't think this guy's right. I think it's about a blueprint that God's going to give me. And, and the thing is, though, in my life, that's never how anything worked out. I remember the first time I went out with Angela on a date. I thought, I could marry this girl. But then... You know, three years later, after I finally got it and stopped being a knucklehead, I'm like, I'm going to marry this girl. You just make a decision. You know, we've, we've uh, moved places, and we're like, what's a good place to go? You know, we, live, we were living in Irvine, and we were serving here in Orange. We're like, we want to live in the city. We, we are serving. Let's, where should we live in, in Orange? You know, we found a place. We, we chose a place. There was other options. But it wasn't like God said, uh, you're going to be at that address. That exact address. Now, I know we spin it that way, don't we? Oh, the Lord led me exactly to the right school. The Lord led me to the right person. Sure, great. Sometimes we speak in ways that makes people think that he is going to direct every minute movement. And that is not the way God works. If that is how you have adopted the way you live in the Christian life, that's why you're probably so worried all the time and so frustrated all the time and so afraid all the time that you might step out of, as some people used to put it, the center of the perfect will of God. The Bible doesn't even talk like that. A lot of things some of us were taught, like you need to be in the center of the will of God. You know, the eye of the needle, the eye of the hurricane and the center of the will of God. What? The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible says make wise decisions as you acknowledge the lordship of Christ. The Bible says make wise decisions as you as you trust god to sanctify you 
Like, love, you've heard me say this. You've probably heard me say this before. Love God and do as you please. Seriously, like, love Jesus the most and do whatever you jolly well please. Do it. Like, like for example, here's the, here's the biblical view. God cares about your life and the choices you make. But he doesn't give you the exact answer ahead of time for everything in life. Love God and do as you please. Now, that's often attributed to Augustine, wrongly, actually. What he said is, love and do as you will. He was preaching on 1 John 4, and he basically was saying, like, love God and love your neighbor, and, and, and you'll do what, what pleases God. Well, the idea is that love Jesus the most and, and do whatever you want. Why do I say that? Because you'll be loving Jesus the most, because you're not going to be wanting to do something illegal. You're not going to be wanting to do something immoral. You're not going to be wanting to do something that's just irrational. You're going to do something that pleases God. You have freedom in Christ to make choices, to make wise, measured, cautious, confident choices and not be confused about everything, not be worried about making the wrong move or doing the wrong thing, thinking that God has like some, you know, microscope on on you that's like, don't step out of line. It's not the way God works. You walk by faith. Like, like, some of you are like, I don't know how God's gifted me. Well, start doing something to serve him. And you use your gifts, and it, it, it gives God pleasure. It brings God pleasure when you do something good. And, and like Eric Little in The Chariots of Fire, I love that movie, Chariots of Fire, uh, when he says, I, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Uh, you get guidance by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, uh, the objective word applied to your subjective choices. Uh, you ask for counsel. You ask for wise guidance. If you're going to make wise decisions, you better be someone who asks people for advice. But people who ask, who don't ask for advice, they're fools, actually. Uh, the, the Bible, Proverbs talks about that a lot. The person who never asks anyone else for advice makes some really wacky decisions sometimes. But then you make your decision and you own your own responsibility for it and don't blame anybody else for that decision. Because what God is looking for is not your perfection in the moment to get the right thing right. You're worried about where to go to school. He's worried about your holiness and your Christ-likeness. Success isn't perfection, it is wisdom. In fact, uh, Joshua 1, if you want to flip over to Joshua 1, and Joshua 1, this is great because this also, you know, we take so many Bible verses and we, we make them into something that they're not. But in Joshua 1, verses 8 and 9, Here's Joshua, he's taking over from Moses, he's nervous, doesn't know how he's going to do it. Here's what God says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You're going to obey the word of God, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. You're going to be thinking about it, you're going to be rolling it over in your mind, you're going to be, you know, really working it out in your life so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Obey God's word, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And you know how many people take that and go, ha ha, I'm going to get what I want. I am going to get what I want. And it's great because um, words mean something. And the Hebrew words here for success means act wisely. Act wisely. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to do what's right because you're going to be acting wisely. You're not going to be foolish. As Psalm 32 says, don't be like the horse and the mule. Like, I'm going to lead you, God says. I'm going to guide you. Trust the Spirit of God to give you understanding of the Word of God so that you make wise decisions as you, you know, you take the macro ideas in the Word of God and make micro decisions in life and realize that your decisions are not inerrant. 
they, they, they might crash and burn. And God is able to make even that work for good to those who love him. You're going to make mistakes in judgment. You're going to get things wrong. Where do you ever read in the Bible that says you can't make any mistakes and you can't step out of line and you'll be out of God's will? Sinclair Ferguson was helpful to me recently. It's not so much about having a blueprint that falls down out of heaven that tells you exactly what to do or where to live or where to go or who to marry. But it's going to tell you how to be wise. Sinclair Ferguson said this. He said, Christians today, I like this. He said, Christians today are so thirsty to experience immediate revelation from God when his desire for us is the ongoing work of the Spirit opening up our understanding of Scripture. See, here's, here's, here's where our flesh comes into the picture. You know why you want the immediate revelation? Then you don't have to work hard. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do what the Bible says. Like, uh, Ferguson gave us three reasons, actually. I, I like them. Three reasons why people go this way, why they just wanted it immediately. Just tell me the answer, God. Is because it seems more exciting and spiritual to have direct revelation from God rather than Bible revelation. Secondly, it feels more authoritative to say, God revealed this to me, rather than the Bible tells me so. And third, it relieves us of the need for Bible study and careful consideration of Christian doctrine in order to know the will of God. Because compared to immediate revelation, Bible study sounds boring. God's way of producing authentic Christian growth involves the renewal of your mind, not the setting aside of your mind. And it is progressive. It takes time and demands obedience of our wills, where we say, Lord, your will be done. I want to do what you say in the word. And, and sometimes God does things quickly, but most of the time, he works slowly to make us progressively more like Christ. The spirit of God, using the word of God to illumine and transform your thinking, develop godly wisdom. And, and it does, I think it operates sometimes in, in, in mysterious ways, surprising ways. And it's like this, if you're a Christian and you're into the word and you're letting the word of God dwell within you richly and you're, not, and you're pushing away all the selfish ideas you're having, that scripture becomes such a part of your mindset, so permeating in your mind, so, in, in so much a part of who you are, that the will of God becomes clear. And like you can make decisions quicker that are wise. It's kind of like this, like up here we have these... these uh, Great instruments that people are playing. I play a little guitar, not very well, but I love, I love uh, all these instruments. But when I listen to someone playing them, I will not point out, because I, I don't know when they, you know, play it wrong or whatever. It's like I just didn't notice. But if you are an accomplished musician, you know when it's been played well. You know when it's played poorly. And, and it's kind of like that with, with, with knowing the will of God and doing what God says in the word is that it's, it's Hebrews 5 where it says that your senses are trained to discern between good and evil, and that you get so filled with the word of God, and you're seeking wise counsel, and you're praying dependently, and you just, you just are able to make some decisions, and even you just go, how did, I, how did that come about? How was I able to figure that out? Well, because you're, you're filled with the word of God, and you're filled with the spirit of God, and you're obeying God's word, you acknowledge Christ's sovereign lordship, and you're making wise decisions, you're yielding to the sanctifying work of the spirit of God. Like, praise God for that when that happens. Now let's go to the last point. Let's look at verse 13. 
because this literally brings it all together. This part just brings it all together because verse 13, and let me remind you that God's will is, again, not a mystery to discover. It is not a hidden treasure to find. It is what pleases him as you walk by faith. And by the way, I will just say this too. Humanity, just us in this room or listening, wherever you're at, we are proof that we need the will of God. Because left to our devices, we make a mess of things. We ruin things because of our sin. But God is perfect, and we need to trust him. That's the third point. You not just obey God's word and acknowledge Christ's sovereign authority and his lordship. Not just make wise decisions and yield to the sanctifying work of the spirit, but trust God. That's what verse 13 is telling us. Trust God. It is God who is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure. Like, accept God's providential orchestration of your life. And God's providence is only God knows. He's working things hidden, and, and it, he's at work in you to do his good pleasure, to do what satisfies him, to do what delights him, to do what he desires. It's his good will. God is at work in you. So verse 12 says, you're doing some work, you're doing something, but the Lord is producing the effects. The Lord is producing the good works and the spiritual fruit in the lives of believers that are indwelt by his spirit. He is willing and working for his good pleasure. He is energizing your desires and your actions. His, his will, that's his intent to fulfill his planned purpose. And again, it could be that you move to the place and it doesn't work out and God uses that to to, to make you deeper in Christ, to cause you to be more like Christ, to be more yielded to his work. We have this false idea that everything we do must work out well in our minds for it to be the will of God. And I want you to look at one more verse here in this passage. I want you to look at verse 14. Because when you read it, you're like, wait, isn't this like a different topic now? Uh-uh, it is the same passage, the next verse, same context. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, the, interesting, the Greek word for without complaining, if when you pronounce it, it sounds like muttering, or grumbling in a low voice. Like, it's an emotional rejection of God's providence and his will in your life. You don't like your circumstances. And so you're going to complain against God. Or disputing, that's questioning and criticizing God. God didn't come through. I did all the steps. I put in the work. I did it all, and God didn't come through because it didn't work out the way that I wanted. That's not how God teaches us about his will. That's not the way the scriptures present the will of God. God is interested in your choices. He wants you to make wise ones. But he doesn't normally reveal to you all the answers to all the big questions. And he certainly is going to tell you what you need to have for lunch today. God loves you in Christ. He cares intimately about you and your life and your part in the body of Christ. But isn't it true, some of us go to very odd extremes to try to find the will of God. And as you mature in Christ, what you notice and what you find is God gives you freedom. Freedom to obey, because your will was, was lost in sin and shackled in sin before God freed you to serve him. But also free to make wise decisions. 
and know that everything isn't explained and that you need to trust the providence of God and pray with a tender heart and say, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That as James 4.15 says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Not, I'm going to go do this. But whatever the Lord wills, we'll do that. We'll live, we'll do this or that. And, in, and, and whoever, does the right, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That you would take Jesus' example of submission to the Father's will. That you would want to be assured that you are on the right track because you're pleasing God. It's like Hebrews 13. I, I read this after a lot of our services as a benediction. It's a prayer. It's a prayer for the God of peace to equip you in every good thing to do his will. What pleases him. Working in us what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. That suffering is often the will of God. First Peter is all about this. Where it says it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. That you live no longer in the flesh for the lusts of men but for the will of God. That you suffer according to the will of God and entrust your soul to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Do you know that you cannot lift your arm apart from the will of God? His power to enable that his will is bigger than your next decision. Because he works all things after the counsel of his will. He is sovereign. He is providentially working. And so trust him. You, you don't need to be so confused. You can actually live confidently following Christ. As you obey the word of God. As you make wise decisions. And as you trust God, knowing that only he knows how he's going to work everything out. And Lord, we thank you that our comfort is not in knowing that we did exactly what we were supposed to do, but knowing you who wills and works for your good pleasure. We want to live pleasing to you in our thoughts and our words and our actions. We, we want to know, we know that your revealed will is busy for us, keeps us busy. It's enough for us to busy ourselves with and whatever it is that comes next lord we know you're sovereign we know you're in control and lord we pray that we would trust your providential working apart from you we can do nothing we praise you that all things whatsoever are governed by your secret counsels because you are in absolute control of everything and we praise you we love you because you first loved us and we pray in christ's name amen